summed up our prayer this morning very well. Lord, we are the branches, you are the vine. Draw us close and teach us to abide. That's what we, our hearts long for this morning. So as we come to John 15, uh, the famous passage of the vine and the branches, would that be our prayer? So let's uh, read from John 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord for you, his church, this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father, that's our prayer. Would you teach us this morning by your word, by the work of your spirit in our hearts to abide in you. Draw us close. Teach us to abide. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I graduated from high school, uh, my grandfather gave me a gift of a trip, just he and I, uh, to New York City. And he was like, I want to take you to whatever you want to do in New York City. I want to structure this trip around what you want to do. And so there was a couple Broadway plays we went to, you know, got to eat a good steak or two uh, in New York City. But one of the things that I really wanted to do was I wanted to go, uh, and you guys are going to call me a nerd, I wanted to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, it's a massive museum uh, right by Central Park. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. A lot of famous artwork. That's what I wanted to do. So that was the first thing that we did when we got off the plane as uh, we went to the Met. And we walk in, and it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful. If you've ever been there, I mean, I cannot, uh, I cannot understate how big this place is actually is. I can't overstate how big this place is. And so uh, my grandfather's like, well, we're going to spend some time in here. So do you want to get a tour guide? And I'm like, you know what? No, we don't need a tour guide for the Met. Uh, we can handle all this quicker ourselves. Uh, and so we start to walk, and uh, we are keeping a very brisk pace. This place is huge. And so I'm probably spending maybe on average about five seconds per painting, and I'm just kind of looking at it. Great. Keep moving down, looking at it. Great. Keep looking at it down. And guys, we got through the whole Metropolitan Museum of Art in an hour. In an hour. And then it was time to go to lunch. Uh, get home, and people start asking me about this experience of being in the museum. And, you know, we're, I'm so excited telling them all about this trip. And, and the topic of we were at this museum comes up, and all of a sudden I realize I don't remember anything 
about the museum. You know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I was there. I laid eyes on every painting in this museum, uh, and I saw some pretty famous stuff, apparently. I saw the Washington Crossing of the Delaware. Apparently, I stood right in front of that. I also apparently stood in front of Van Gogh's uh, Man with the Straw Hat, a very famous portrait. I had stood in front of some extremely beautiful paintings. I apparently saw a collection of guitars. I don't really remember who they were from, but they were pretty, I guess. It was funny because I had spent time in this museum. I had paid attention to every painting in the museum, and yet when people were asking me about it, I couldn't remember a single detail other than just very vague, faint memories. And it raises a really important question. If I didn't spend the time to take in the beauty, to take in the knowledge that could have been shared, and I just went from painting to painting really fast, had I actually been there? Sure, I had paid attention, but had I actually been there? And I think that raises a really interesting question as we talk about our own Christian discipleship. Because a lot of us show up wanting to be formed by Jesus, don't we? We show up to places wanting to be formed, right? You're here this morning, right? You may go to Sunday school. You may go to small group later this week. You may have a quick prayer before dinner uh, every night to try to establish a habit. You may open your Bible uh, during a quiet term or just at some point through the week because you want to be formed maybe outside of normal church events. But one of the things that we fall into the temptation of and one of the things that's plaguing the church over and over again is that this notion that growth, spiritual growth, discipleship, like everything else in the world, can be made extremely efficient and extremely expedient, right? Many of us have a heart that we want to look more like Jesus, but we only allow ourselves maybe an hour on Sunday for that, or maybe 15 minutes of prayer somewhere throughout the week for that, right? We envision our discipleship kind of in the economy of our attention to be something we want to be able to put a, just a little bit of effort into, but receive so much as a result. It's kind of like my experience at the Met. I want to be able to go in there and spend just an hour, but I also want to be able to receive all of the knowledge and the beauty and the wealth that that place provides. And I think it's in this culture of expediency, of efficiency, of getting things done quickly, that oftentimes that's where we fall stagnant in our growth as a Christian. How many of you would say that you're a 15 to 20-year-old Christian, or would you say you're a one-year-old Christian who's been around 15 to 20 times? Right? In this culture of expediency and efficiency, we often fall stagnant. And so what I love about John 15 this morning is it kind of redirects us a little bit. And you'll know that this passage is one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he goes away. So often, or obviously we know that if Jesus is saying this last, it's probably one of the most important things he wants to impart to his disciples. And what's the key phrase that he says multiple times in this passage? Abide in me. Abide in me. And abide is an older word. We don't use that a lot in our normal uh, English language today, but abide means to remain, conform, and to patiently wait. Remain, conform, and patiently wait. And what does Jesus do? Well, he gives us this illustration, a picture of growth that's he's the vine, this big vine, and that there are branches growing off the vine. 
And I want you to note that Jesus's words his, are intentionally slow. I want you to abide in me. I want you to wait in me. Jesus is not calling for a breakneck pace, an efficient pace of growth, an expedient pace of growth. Jesus is describing it like fruit, which slowly moves from a bud on the branch to fully grown. It doesn't happen overnight. And as we continue in Lent, as we think about being formed and shaped and growing in Christ, I think it's gonna pay us good to learn what it truly means to abide. Not just simply pay attention to God, but to truly abide, to remain, conform, and patiently wait. So what does that look like? Well, I think it looks like three things, and Jesus kind of covers them uh, in his discourse. And he's, the first thing he says is to abide in me so that you'll bear much fruit. And what that means is that we ought to, as Christians, wait for transformation and not information. Wait for transformation and not information. So the whole illustration that Jesus gives is that he's the vine. The father is like the gardener. He's the one who's tending to the vine and the branches and that the branches are us and that we're connected to the vine. And when we're connected to the vine, what does Jesus say happens? You bear fruit. And I want you to notice that as you read this passage, everything, everything that Jesus says is geared towards fruitfulness, right? The branches need to be attached to the vine. Why? So that they bear fruit, right? Sometimes branches need to be pruned. Why? So that they can bear more fruit, right? Sometimes branches are gonna get cut off. Why? Because they aren't bearing any fruit at all. So John 15, the sole criteria of the goodness of the branch is fruitfulness, which means what? Well, fruit in scripture is a metaphor for our outward actions, not our inward actions or motivations of the heart, but our outward actions. And so the first sign of abiding is fruitfulness, of actually living a life before others that resembles the Savior. That when people watch you, that when people hear you speak, they notice Christ in you. That's the criteria of a good branch. And what God is doing throughout all of scripture is right. He's saying, hey, this is what I want you to be. He's setting out the picture of what I want you to be. And then through the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, he's drawing us closer to that picture. He's making us more and more like Christ. So first, it might be aspirational. Right? When Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, I don't do that. Right? That's hard. But through prayer and through study and through interacting with neighbors who I don't necessarily love in time, what's God doing? Hopefully that becomes to be true one day. But what happens is, is that in this world of we just need to get it done, we need to be expedient, we need to be efficient, is what we do is we forsake transformation that leads to action and we just trade it for information. And we just hope that that information may inspire us, give us a spiritual lift, but often very little else. Um, we've said this up here before, but Francis Chan has this incredible analogy uh, where he talks about a dad and a daughter and the daughter comes up um, to the dad and the dad says, hey, I need you to go clean your room. So the daughter goes away uh, with this command to clean her room and uh, the day goes by and she comes back and goes, dad, I've been thinking long and hard about what you said today. 
I went and read a lot of books on what that word clean might mean. I also got a couple friends together and we're gonna talk about what it might look like if we actually just cleaned our rooms. It's gonna be great. And then I also took that command that says clean your room and I put it on an index card and I put it up in my mirror so that every day when I walk by it, it's gonna inspire me, right? But guess what she didn't do? Actually cleaned her room. You see, part of our temptation is that when we hear God's call to transformation, when we see it very plainly put out in scripture, but what we wanna do is we kind of just wanna hold it at arm's length, right? That sounds good, God. That's really inspiring. That's really awesome. But we never quite let it get from head to heart. We never quite let it get there because you know what? That's a really uncomfortable for me to grow in. Or you know what? That's really slow, right? God, that's not the five easy steps to blessing that I would prefer it to be. Rather, God's call to transformation often requires us to live a long obedience in the same direction. That's Eugene Peterson's quote. It requires us to abide. Because when we're abiding in God, that means we're not just knowing what God says, but we're actually waiting. We're actually uh, walking with God and that he is transforming us to live as he called us to do. And that's gonna require of us something more than just simply paying attention to what God says. We might know what it says, but abiding is gonna require a deep, intentional wrestling with God. I love the imagery of Jacob wrestling with God in the book of Genesis. And when he's holding on to God, he's wrestling with God. And what does Jacob say? I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. In the same way, abiding in the vine means we're holding on to God with everything we got. And we say, God, we're not gonna let you go until you change us, until you transform us. We're not gonna let you go until I don't just know this, but your glory is seeping out of me, right? Even if you have to prune me, even if you have to strip things back so that I can see you more clearly, I'm not gonna let you go until you transform me. I want to be fruitful, not just be a hearer of the word as it says in James, but a doer of it. That's the difference between abiding in God and just simply paying attention. And that's the first thing that Jesus covers. The second is that we ought to wait for the giver and not the gifts. We ought to wait for the giver and not the gifts. If you go down to verse seven, uh, Jesus will make this claim. He says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Right? How many of y'all have asked God for something and he didn't give it to you? Yeah, I'm definitely in that camp. That I've asked God for things and he hasn't answered them the way that I wished he would answer them. And so what does he mean by that? Well, go back and look at what the prerequisite is of getting what you want from God, of getting what you wish from God. It's abiding right? Not just simply paying attention to what God says in his word and, you know, having a cursory knowledge of, you know, this is what the Bible says, but truly abiding, not just putting in a little effort for max outcome. Because when you're truly abiding in God, right, there's going to be a relationship dynamic that's going to change with God. Because so often our relationship with God, if we're being honest, is mediated by our stuff, what do I mean by our relationship with God is mediated by our stuff? 
Well, I mean that when you look at the circumstances of your life, when you look at the stuff you have, when you look at all the things that you know, are in your life, when things are going great, when we have the stuff that we want, when we have the blessings that are helping us move forward and they're all aligning with our desires and expectations, that's when we'll often say, you know what? I feel really close to God right now. But when we don't have the things that we want or circumstances aren't beneficial or what we desired or expect of God, those are the moments when oftentimes we say, you know what? I just don't really feel close to God right now. See, our relationship with God is mediated by our stuff, and that even extends to prayer, right? I've been doing student ministry for a long time now, close to eight years, and uh, one of the things I love to do is learn and teach how to pray. And when somebody's learning how to pray for the first time, oftentimes what those prayers will sound like is very simple, but God, can you do this? God, can you do that? God, can you give me this? God, help me do really well on this test today, right? Fine prayers, but we're asking God for things. And then as you grow a little bit more, what do you kind of add on? Well, you kind of add some thankfulness in there. God, thank you so much for this. God, thank you for your many blessings. But what I find interesting is that when you meet people who the presence of God is just kind of dripping off them, you just know when you're with them that they've been with Jesus, the way that they pray is completely different. When people who are abiding start to pray, what you notice is that they don't start with their stuff. They don't start with what God gives them. Rather, they start with God directly. What they'll start with is they'll start with adoration. God, you are all powerful, all knowing, gracious, merciful, steadfast. Did you notice that in the Psalm? How David is just praising God? And then did you notice what he does? Lord, my sin gets in the way of us. Lord, would you remove it from me so I can be closer to you? You see, when he's abiding in God, he cares more about his relationship with God directly than all of the other stuff that might get in the way. And that's not to say that that's not good stuff to pray, but when you are truly abiding, you are praying and you are casting your eyes on God himself, not the external circumstances around us. And so part of abiding is realizing that that our relationship with God cannot be contingent on the gifts, but it has to be contingent on the giver, right? We want our heart to be like God's. We want what breaks his heart to break ours. We want what gives him joy to be what gives us joy. And when that is how our hearts are, notice when you ask God for things, they're gonna happen. Why? Because your will will align with God's will because you want what the giver wants, not just the gifts that you receive. Tim is pre preaching down in Guanabacoa this morning uh, in Cuba at a church we've supported for years. And one of my favorite stories about this church uh, is during COVID, uh, Cuba has a law where uh, if no one is in the church on a given Sunday, the government can come and take the church. They'll call it an abandoned church. And so they'll take and seize control of the building. And so there were two women who decided during COVID, what were they going to do in order to make sure this didn't happen? They went and sat in the church week by week by week so that the government couldn't take the church. Nobody else there. The fruit of what God was doing in that church, you couldn't see it with your hands. You couldn't see it tangibly, but they continued to sit because they believed that God wasn't done with that church yet. 
They had faith in the giver, even though the gifts weren't coming. And the fruit of that is that now today they're talking about replicating a preschool ministry that that church started across Cuba and having a widespread impact all because of the faith of those two women, right? Having faith in the giver and not just the gifts. And then finally, uh, waiting on the ordinary means of grace. So we're waiting for transformation, not information. We're waiting on the giver and not the gifts. And then finally, waiting on the ordinary means of grace. And I hope you noticed in the passage that there, God, Jesus kind of equates two things. He says, if you obey my commandments, if you obey the Father's commandments, then you will abide in my love, right? Abiding and obedience are linked together. And why on earth would they be linked together? Those two things don't quite seem like they go together. Deep intimacy, waiting, remaining, conforming in God, and then also just following rules. But here's the thing. When you talk about the Father's commandments, and this is throughout all of scripture, sometimes even in our modern culture, we talk about God's rules as kind of like a straitjacket. It's like God's just trying to keep you from having a good time. God's trying to bind you up to make sure that you kind of stay in the right way. And that's kind of how culture views God's commands and God's law. But when God gives a command, when God gives us rules to follow, it's not to restrain us necessarily, but it's actually to help us see the good, to see the beautiful, to see the truth, right? You go back to all the laws in the Old Testament, all these weird you know, laws, but you think about where they were. They were a wilderness people. And then you start to look through the lens and actually all these laws is God protecting a wilderness people from all of the things that they could get in trouble with that could hurt them. And you start to read God's commands and God's laws is almost pastoral. It's like, hey, I love you. Don't do this because it could hurt you. It actually becomes a means of grace saying here, I want you to know me more and I don't want these things to get in the way. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he starts talking about if you abide in my commandments, or if you obey my commandments, you're abiding in my love because when you're following my way, you're gonna know me more. You're gonna know my grace more. These promises that I've made to you that may seem somewhat abstract are gonna become concrete. Um, When Allison and I started dating, this was 2014, fall of 2014, um, one of the first gifts that I ever gave her and then she kind of returned the gift to me was uh, I gave her this jar and it had a bunch of strips of paper in it that I'd written on. Uh, and it's, we still actually have it, but it was this jar that every day I wanted her to pull something out. And it was a reason why I liked her. We hadn't even said, I love you at the time, uh, but it was a reason why I liked her. I wanted her to pull one every day. And uh, so sometimes I would go over to her apartment and she would do it while I was there. She's like, oh, I gotta go do this day. So she would pull it out and she would read it. And a lot of these were inside jokes that Allison and I had collected in our you know, four or five months of dating at that point. And it was special because what it was doing was it was kind of taking this abstract love, this abstract, you know, relationship. You can't quite touch it. And it was making it really concrete. You know, we didn't know where each other stood. We were just figuring each other out. But as we would read these things that were true and she would look at me and I would smile and then eventually she did something similar for me and I would read it and I would smile back at her, right? It was drawing us closer together because it was taking all this abstract and it was making it, extremely concrete. The love of God looked like 
this. My love for Allison looked like this. Her love for me looked like this. In the same way, that's what the commands of God do for us, right? It takes the abstract and it makes it extremely concrete. That's why we go to the table. It takes the abstract promises of God that he will dwell with us. The abstract promises of God that he wants to die for our sin so that we might be raised in him. And it makes it very concrete for us. And one of the things I loved about it when Allison and I would share these moments together is we were like, we could see it in their, our faces. You know what? This is what love looks like. In the same way as we come to this table, as we follow a command of God, hey, do this in remembrance of me. We come each and every time and we go, this is what God's love looks like. And friends, that's part of what it means to abide, to not just run past, to not just structure our lives and say, okay, I filled the checkbox and now I know exactly what I need to do in order to make sure that God's happy with me. No, it's sometimes wildly inefficient. We're going to take about 10 minutes and we're just going to eat bread and drink grape juice. But why are we doing it? Because it makes the abstract love of God so much more concrete that we know that God is for us, that God's not done with us yet, that these promises that God will be with us into, even to the very end of the age in Matthew 28, they're still true. That the steadfast love of the Lord, that's still true that his faithfulness endures to all generations, that's still true. And so abiding in him is holding on to those promises. It's holding on to him for transformation. It's holding on to him and not just the stuff around us. It requires us to go deeper than sometimes we're willing to go. And you know what? In a world of expediency and efficiency, you know what? It doesn't make sense. But oftentimes the way that God calls us doesn't make sense. But his way is better than any way we can make for ourselves. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite us uh, to the table to do something rather inefficient, but to see the promises of God anew. And we're gonna abide together uh, in the vine. And so that's my prayer this morning. Would he teach us to abide, holding on to him for transformation, not just information, holding on to the giver, not the gifts, and holding on to these ordinary means of grace, these commands that communicate the love and the promises of God to us. Let me pray for us. Father, teach us to abide. Lord, oftentimes we go so fast and we want this to be so easy. We want to corner it in one little part of our lives and get max outcome. But Lord, you call us to the slow waiting and patient, long obedience in the same direction. Lord, you call us to transformation, not just information. You call us to behold you and not just the gifts we give. And you call us to follow in these commandments so that you can communicate to our hearts the true nature of these promises to us. That Lord, in this broken bread, in this shed cup that we pour out, Lord, you're communicating to us that your promises are sure, that your steadfast love still endures for us today that your faithfulness will always endure even to the end of the earth and that you're with us. So Lord, I pray that you would meet us here at this table by faith. Would you comfort us and encourage us? In Jesus' name, amen.